Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Greg Reeder, welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Eric. It's been, it's been uh, many years, but uh, uh, we've worked together, we've been friends, and it's my pleasure to welcome you on this podcast in your new role as Director of Marketing at SAP's National Security Services. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you're doing, what you're working on. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for the intro, and thanks for the opportunity to talk a little bit about what we're doing with SAP uh, NS2. SAP is an interesting company. I think it's the third largest software company in the world, but what they have a little bit of a challenge with is they have to represent themselves to the U.S. government anyway for sales that has to be independent. So we are a U.S. Um, wholly owned subsidiary of SAP, and one of our original specific charges was to find um, a way to communicate with the uh, government across the United States to provide them secure services, secure support, um, and all the things that the government needs to operate that SAP sells. So we do that. We also do some new things that allows us to be independent in a way. We have a new lab that we've set up so that we can help collaborate and co-innovate with partners and we can build our own products. So there's lots of other things we do, but rather than to go in deep on your discussion here, just to bring that back to the topic is all of those things have a common thread and that's communicating who we are and what we do because it's a complex story to tell. So my role there is to figure out how to simplify that process and explain what we do, who we are, why it matters, and how we solve problems. So that's what we're doing across the marketing team, or at least trying to for SAP NS2. And in addition to providing, you know, these secure solutions and software for the U.S. government regulated industries, uh, you also have this sort of independent innovation investment capability called NS2 Labs. What's that? So NS2 Labs, we started because we recognized a lot of, not just government, but, you know, it started with government partners and government um, organizations. They don't have an easy path to getting projects funded that might make sense, or at least they want to try. So they want to build something that's collaborative, but they don't want to invest the full amount. They don't want to pay for a proof of concept all by themselves to only realize that it might not be what they were hoping for. So that's one element of labs is we go in there and we provide, we put some skin in the game, we'll co-develop with that, and we'll build solutions to complex problems that customers or partners have. The other piece is that we also can use it as an investment arm. So we've invested in some other products that solve um, other challenges. One example is called Note Shark, where uh, current law enforcement across the United States or even across the world has archaic methods of being able to track currency and index that and share it with other agencies so that they can keep track of illegal drug buys or money laundering or terrorism. So they can use this tool to scan in the bills, index that, share it in the cloud, and collaborate with each other to find out if some of that money was found somewhere or actually made its way through a channel. So we invested in that company to help them get on their feet. So it kind of has both angles where we'll build things that solve problems that people haven't been able to fix or it'll invest in companies that have figured out how to attack a problem, but they haven't been able to bring it to market. And then you guys also run a charity that trains vets uh, to use SAP so that they can work at companies that are running SAP. 
Um, and then your team, I guess your, your, your marketing team is supporting all those different organizations, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, and the last one, just to make a quick mention, it's called NS2 Serves, and we take, um, we, we offer opportunities to uh, veterans that, that may not see their connection to the IT world, and we'll give them that opportunity through dedicated on-site training and train them up in SAP's tools. And so it's a win-win. We don't use any of their um, GI Bill. They, we provide them free training and pay them a stipend while they're at the class. Afterwards, we work with a company to get direct placement to somebody that needs trained, qualified SAP um, technicians or personnel. So we've had classes where Accenture just hired the whole class. Or Deloitte hired some high-level um, folks that could solve their problems. And we had people that joined the program that thought they were just destined to be a mechanic the rest of their life because that's what they did in the military. Other people that were delivering pizza, they didn't know how to make ends meet, and they never thought they would have a career in IT. And we were able to take them, give them a, a different kind of opportunity and chance and really transform their outlook. So we like to do those things, but as I mentioned in the beginning, those are a lot of different stories to tell, and it's a challenge to tie them all together. Are, is all the training live classroom training, or is it online as well? It's all live training. Well, the other benefit is we'll, we'll vet all the candidates. We'll make sure they're all qualified, that they meet the program's requirements. And the people that hire them know then that they don't have to spend a lot of money and time figuring out who the qualified people are, that they have a background training in leadership, that they've been trained in the tools, and that they have some quality skills. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. They didn't invest a lot of money to get a good person. We helped a, a service member that didn't realize they had a great opportunity, and we get the benefit of connecting people that, you know, hopefully are going to say good things and do good things for NS2 in the future. Well, I mean, that's a very I – mean, first of all, it's a wonderful program, philanthropic effort. Um, for you, you know, as, as the marketing guy, the director of marketing, I mean, you're supporting a very broad, uh, you know, portfolio of organizations here you know, lines of business and capabilities. Um, I mean, you've got, you've got secure services, you've got cloud, you've got innovation, you've got labs, you've got defense, you've got intelligence, and you've got this class. Um, tell me about sort of how that works. How do you, how, the size of your organization, and, and how do you manage to support this diverse portfolio of um, uh, organizations from a marketing standpoint? Yeah, that's, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head of how do we do it. That's the big question we we kind of started with. I've, I've been there for almost two years, and part of the charge and the challenge was to, how do we figure that out? And at that time, we were focused on just a subset of those capabilities. Now we have a whole collection of portfolios, and we're a growing company, too, so it's only going to get wider. We're going to start supporting commercial secure cloud in the not-too-distant future. So there's a lot of different audiences that we have to communicate with. Then when we're faced with the challenge, we have tons of information to say, limited attention span by people that want to buy, and um, multiple different line of business owners that we have to serve. So it's kind of been a, a long journey to this point uh, when it comes to plans, but the way ahead is to really try and simplify things. And I know that sounds like just a cookie-cutter answer, but breaking down what we do into simple pillars of business or or pillars of offerings or pillar, pillars of products or pillars of service, whatever that is, how do you simplify that? And it's the old adage we all kind of learned for presentations or in school, 
break things down into threes, it makes humans make them more understandable, right? So we'll try and take all of the color to figure out what are the common three trends that connect those dots. And then we'll focus on those from a marketing and messaging standpoint. And then you can do a marketing campaign that ties into a theme, it ties into an emotion, it ties into a topic, instead of tying into, well, here's what we do, or here's who we are, here's the cool things that we solve. Those are all great stories, but that's not what people care about. They want to know, you know, how it connects to their issue, how it connects to their emotional concern right at that moment. It's interesting, you know, the, the issue of emotions. Um, you know, most of us in B2B have, have kind of steered away from emotions in marketing because, you know, unlike consumer products, um, you know, B2B sell products where the purchasing decision is typically motivated by something practical. Um, and so the message is usually middle of the road, you know, politically correct, factual, objective style content, almost like following, you know, journalism. Um, I mean, is that, why do you think that is in, in your neck of the woods? Do you think it's because um, technology deployments have high failure rates? So by keeping our content straight-laced, it's seen as a way of minimizing doubt? You know, I, well, if, if we look at it from a government perspective and then kind of extrapolate that to business, I think the presumption is, and what we're always pushed towards if we're on the buying end, is somebody that has the money wants to know what the requirements are and how you're going to answer the requirements. Those are all fact-based questions, right? I need X number of this. I need it to do it this amount of time. I need this service level agreement that has X, Y, and Z. Those are all data points. And that's what we have to give to the people that makes the decisions so that they can take the next steps. And so we presume and we just build that out. Well, that's how we need to communicate the story. We need to tell them about the facts and how it answers their requirements. But the reality is that people make decisions based on emotion. They may make a, uh, they may whittle them down based on fact, but we all base what we do on emotion. So when I you know, thought about our discussion today and talking about lead generation, you know, everything that you look at out there, and there's tons of examples and guidelines and tips on how to do better lead gen from, you know, doing more direct mail or having better content marketing or delivering, you know, white papers that are gated content, you know, in-depth ebooks. Those are all the fact-based things you can do. But the flip side of that is every one of those things that people give you advice on has an emotion tied to it, right? Direct mail, you have to write it in a way that makes people want to open it. That's an emotion. You know, content marketing, it has to be something people can remember, um, not just check off the block, right? Ebooks have to be something that provides value. It can't just be facts, right? So, you know, from my perspective, the lead gen and the marketing aspect has to deal with at least half and half emotion and fact. Otherwise, you're never going to get people's attention or convince them that this is something that's going to solve their problem. And there's so much content out there. Um, you know, when you Google or search for information about pretty much any aspect of digital marketing now, you're going to just be confronted with more content that any one person can consume. Um, yet you look at the type of information that is attracting people's attention to the consumer space, you know, BuzzFeed, these other sort of click baitish type sites, um, you know, they're all about emotion. They're all about fear. And they're all about uncertainty and, uh, and ego. 
Um, yet you, then you look at some of this sort of vanilla B2B content and, you know, you, you almost want to, you know, stab yourself in the eye just <laughs> knowing that you have to read it. I mean, it's so boring. Yeah. So how do you, how do you how do you find the middle line? How do how do you balance between information that's factual and that's going to give the buyer what they need to at least put you on the short list, but then be interesting enough that you even make it to the reading stack in the first place? You know that's that's a great point, and and I think back to an example, and you know this is part of. You know, the relationship you and I have had over the years, part of what I did in the past was I was the digital manager for the Marine Corps media department. And so that involved any number of tools and goals and guidelines. The good side was that it was a well-known brand. We just had to figure out the right way to do it, and it would work, right? We weren't trying from an unknown thing. But we still had to figure out strategies that worked. And we still had to communicate a valid story that we wanted somebody to read. And how do we do that? You know, some people call it today clickbait, but, you know, in a way we did the same thing. We would put out uh, content on social media that would just have a simple picture with an emotional word, like surprise or reuse marketing terms, but that's way simplifying it. But you have to give somebody an emotional message that makes them have curiosity, have some kind of visceral reaction, have some kind of beneficial feeling about it so that you get the opportunity to talk to them. And that's no different than walking up to somebody and saying, I want you to marry me. Well, that would be weird, right? <laughs> that's an emotional question, but you, know, you can't go straight up and do that. But, you know, you base a relationship on qualities that you like and qualities that make sense. It's still an emotional and logical decision. And marketing is no different. You've got to give them that emotional message that matters to them up front without being creepy and then give them the facts of why that matters to them after. After the fact, you know we were we were really lucky when we were working with the Marine Corps because you know the content is great and the pictures are great, uh, you know the videos great, and you know you can almost assume say, I mean obviously there's different um, publics that the Marine Corps is is uh, communicating to, but if you think about just the area of recruiting, I mean you can almost imagine an unlimited funnel. There's almost an unlimited number of potential Marine Corps recruits. But then you switch over to something like, you know, SAP NS2 innovation. And, you know, not that it's not interesting and important, but, you know, there's no real imagery. You know, you have to sort of create the imagery perhaps with models or graphs or ideas. And, um, and in terms of the number of potential people that are coming into the funnel, I mean, it's very finite. You almost probably know who they are. You know, you can probably almost target market them. So that said, you know, if you're content marketing or if you're looking to acquire leads in a finite market where you pretty much know who they are, how does that change your content marketing approach? or even just your broader marketing approach? Well, I mean, I think it's always a catch-22. We may have a finite market, especially when it comes to the government, um, but the problem with finite markets, they tend to be tighter markets. So you may know what type they are, but you don't know a lot about them. If you have a broader market, you can do a look-alike matches, you can do all types of 
you know, in-depth marketing tactics and strategies to attract the potential people that you want to talk to. And now you're working on scale instead of finite markets. So I don't know that the tactics change from a messaging perspective. I think you're still dealing with people. Obviously, you're dealing with decisions and emotion. Um, I think actually with finite markets, you have to be even more refined with your messaging, more specific of what challenges that you're trying to tackle and more um, directed in what you're trying to explain. Um, but I, I think in a, in a way, the finite market is actually a lot tougher than the broad-based market. Definitely, definitely. Let's, let's talk a little bit about lead generation because that's what this podcast and my book are about. So, uh, you know, almost half of B2B sales reps list lead quality and quantity as their number one challenge. Why do you think that's the case and what should B2B marketers do about it? Well, the first thing we have to do is decide what makes quality. <laughs> So somebody, somebody's idea of quality is not the next guy's idea of quality. But it really comes down to the questions we ask, I think. So especially in different roles that I've been in, when, you, when it comes to qualifying leads, it could be something as simple as um, I talk to them. Well, that is a qualified lead, depending on how your system is set up. Um, they're interested is another really open-ended. I think to get better quality, we have to ask better questions. In one piece, we have to ask more questions. The other one is what I've noticed just is kind of a common trend among companies. Is we have to better prepare the people that are qualifying the leads because they need to know the material, the story, the, the needs, the challenges, and really the details almost as much as the seasoned sales account executive so that they can answer those questions or those responses that people have to what they ask. So that, you know, quality has to work better up front with sales enablement, training, time spent, script development, content development, so that you can really ask the right questions. The quantity is the whole mathematical equation of how we reach the life so it's possible, and there's probably lots of different ways to go down that topic. Who should qualify? Hmm. Who should qualify? <laughs> That's a I mean, does, does marketing qualify? <laughs> is the reason that sales is unhappy is because marketing is qualifying? Should sales be qualifying? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, it's got to be a it's got to be a team effort. Um, you know, I know you and I've talked about it before, but you know, there has to be a symbiotic relationship between sales and marketing. Marketing needs to know what it is sales cares the most about, what their customers seem to have the most problem with, and. Sales needs to understand that marketing can't do everything and they don't know everything there is to know about the solution. And, you know, there's often a disconnect that sales expects marketing just to develop the right messaging. Marketing expects sales to explain the right story. There's a lot of disconnect between the two. So when it comes to the question of who qualifies, I think if you can get those teams to work closer together, you get a better opportunity to get a better quality lead. In terms of um, your subject matter expertise uh, at an organization like yours or any of the other ones you've worked at before, because I know you were at Adobe before this, do you look to sales to provide subject matter expertise or is that offset to someone else in the organization? 
I mean, what unique intelligence does sales have that marketing could benefit from? No, that's, that's a great point. Uh, most often, subject matter experts are assumed to be the, the uh, technical people, the engineering people. So they'll turn to solutions consultants, they'll turn to solutions engineers, because just by virtue of their title, they are qualified to be experts in that topic. But I think it really depends. The sales executives, the sales staff are, are the most expert enough because they're the ones that are on the front line talking to customers every day. So the subject matter experts are not marketing, even though that's what it's assumed a lot of time because we are sort of the ones pushing the content. It should be the, it should be the sales team as the lead with the, uh, the engineering folks and support. How is uh, the lead qualification and generation process handled at SAP? So since I work for National Security Services Division, ours is a little bit different. SAP uh, obviously is a big yeah, multinational company. I don't want to speak to how they do lead qualification because I don't have all the details on theirs. But how it works for us is that it's very similar to a lot of different companies. Is that we have an inside sales organization um, that will review the inbound responders, is what we call them here, um, to make sure that a we can get in touch with them, that they're actually a person that gave valid information, that we're able to reach out and ask them questions, and they do have a valid interest and a curiosity about it, and it matches up with some of the challenges that they have that we actually can solve. Because if you can't do those basic things, then there's no sense for somebody on sales to spend time reaching out to a non-existent person or somebody that doesn't care. So that's what we do is we'll have the frontline inside sales folks or people at the inside sales level determine if somebody is a valid responder. And from that point, then we'll pass the lead along to somebody that can further qualify them. So um, if... Inside sales is unhappy with the leads that are coming in. Is that considered an unqualified lead? Or is it only the qualification from inside sales to, uh, I guess, you know, a sales rep? Is that where the uh, unqualification, you know, uh, complaint arises? You know, I can for us, it's just... It, could be either way, right? Because obviously somebody that doesn't know the ins and outs of the business with the amount of experience that sales execs usually have may qualify somebody that sales doesn't feel is qualified. Or they may, or sales just may have a different perspective on what the actual baseline audience that we targeted is. So it it could be either one. Who oversees the whole process? Who's responsible for whether or not a lead gets qualified, uh, whether or not a, 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 a lead gets acquired, qualified, and uh, converted to revenue. Is there any one person other than the CEO who is responsible for that? I think it's just, for us, it's a shared responsibility. It goes along the chain. It's from, from marketing to inside sales to sales. I mean, realistically, it could be proposals, right? There's could be somebody that provides an RFP that's potentially a lead, right, or that we're answering an RFP for. So I think it really depends on the channel and 
opportunity, uh, or eventual opportunity, that however that lead got developed. Because obviously there's going to be organic stuff that sales generates on their own. So they have their own lead development and qualification process. What, what's, what's the hardest part of the process? Sharing information, I think. Because there's all kinds of, as we know, CRM systems out there, some better than others, some more complex, some more simple. There's an argument to be made which one is better. But the common thread is they just provide a channel and a way for you to share information. So without that information, it doesn't. you'll never know the details behind it, the notes behind it, what matters to that person, what matters to that business, what problem they have, what size of the deal it is. Obviously, there's a lot of data. The biggest challenge is making sure that we all understand the story behind each one of those leads. And how do you do that? How do you get that? Are, are you currently satisfied with how that's getting done? Or of, of all the of all the parts of lead acquisition that are in your purview, what keeps you up at night? You know, what what piece of that equation bedevils you? Um, well, for me, for the marketing piece, I mean, my biggest interest is how we communicate the right message to the right audience because if we don't do that we're not we're not generating any leads we're not going to generate any pipeline so for me that's the biggest concern i obviously have an interest in how we get to the mql or the qualified lead stage of the game but we can't do anything without having more people on the top of that funnel and so that's the biggest concern for me is how we do that better so you know you're the products that you sell are not products that i buy and and, and go away and use independently, you have an ongoing relationship with all your customers. Right. And so, you know, I imagine customer success uh, is a big part of the equation. Um, how and do you get involved from a marketing standpoint in circumventing churn? Well, for us, we haven't tackled that one yet. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a challenge for us, which is probably why we haven't focused on it. Um, we have really good customer relationship uh, staff. Uh, and I don't even off the top of my head know the churn numbers when it comes to that, so that's probably not a good thing to say from a marketing manager perspective. But it's never been identified as, as a challenge area yet. But, of course, you know, we talked about in the outset, we're trying to tackle a whole ton of processes by starting a whole entire marketing um, chain that really has grown in the past year and a half to probably three or four times bigger than it was to begin with. Well, I mean, you are doing events. I would imagine some of those are user events. Um, correct. We have uh, we partner with SAP for a couple of events. One of those is SAP Sapphire. That's the big SAP event every year. That's really the biggest end user event. We have our own. We have one called NS2 Now, which is really a a local, more or less national capital region event where we'll attract customers to listen to thought leaders. Like, for for example, this year we have General Mattis speaking at our event. Last year we had um, Tony Blair. Prior to that we had George Bush and Condoleezza Rice and President Clinton. So um, we had a lot of good turnout, but how do we turn thought leadership into, you know, sales, solution, service, consideration? So we do have a lot of events, but again, the challenge is how to communicate the right message that resonates with what people need. 
Sure, sure. But again, you know, having those conferences is in fact a customer success initiative as well, because, you know, um, if customers are going to be happy, they have to be able to utilize the product. And if they don't, they're not up to speed on what the latest, uh, you know, uh, features and benefits of the products are, and they don't know how to use them, then they can't get that utilization. Yeah. Um, so, oh, you know, you are supporting yeah. that to some extent already. What about webinars and online training? Is that fall into your purview in terms of how you um, maintain customer success or from a sales enablement standpoint, support customer success? Yeah, yeah it does. We have both, right? One is, you know, the webinars that tell people what it is we offer and uh, how it solves one of their problems. Then we have the other webinars, it's how to use the products and how to get better value out of them. So both of those are one of our functions to be able to deliver that content through webinars, um, through user group events, um, through outreach. So that falls on the marketing team as well. So that's all after, you know, after the, the, uh, the, the customer becomes is generating revenue. I mean, it's not, it's not one and done. You are still supporting them from a marketing standpoint after that initial conversion with these programs. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my boss. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you are you're right. <laughs> now what about, what about paid media? Is paid media effective? Uh, are you seeing paid media drive lead conversions? No, for us, we're just getting into paid media. A lot of the stuff was just organic. Um, we did have some earned media because uh, our CEO, Mark Testoni, he he does make uh, – he's a very good speaker, and he's been featured on a lot of um, different channels and different avenues. He's an expert in the field of security, and so that's been good. But when it comes to paid media, that wasn't really a focus before. So we've just started getting into paid media. Um, I think it's important for brand awareness. It helps get your um, – information out there. There's obviously lots and lots of money being spent on paid media. There's obviously somebody's finding value in it. But it's a tough one to be able to track that dollar spent goes all the way back to an opportunity. There's a lot of things that have to happen with the CRM system, the process, the people taking the notes, the customers involved. But um, we're, we're getting into it right now, so I don't have a full answer on what we're doing from a NS2 perspective on how effective paid media is yet. Got it. Well, listen, you've given us a lot of great insights, a lot of great information. Just one last question. Um, are there any other problems with respect to lead generation that we haven't discussed that you might be willing to, you know, share with us here? Maybe, you know, something that's got you stumped or something that, you know, is keeping you up at night, some unknown. Uh, well, it's just something to maybe off the top of my head, and I didn't think in depth about you know, before I answer, which probably isn't good advice from a marketing guy, but one thing that seems to be a common trend, and I, and I listened to something at a recent event that, that I agreed with, it stuck with me, and I, I think it's relevant for people to think about, is that the correlation and the causation story. You know, one of the points that the lady I listened to brought up, she shared a chart that showed a direct correlation between the amount of margarine consumed in the U.S. with divorce rates in Maine, right? So... There's obviously no connection to those two, but the data points show that they were directly related. So we do that a lot of times, and that's what, you know, sometimes gets us in trouble or it gets people looking sideways at how we do sales and marketing is that you think one event or one action is going to affect an outcome. You can't immediately jump to the conclusion that what you do causes an effect. So you just have to be careful with the 
metrics, have to truly understand what you're doing and how to measure that so that you get valid results in the back end so that you can change what you did to make it better or you can quit doing it if it was wrong. But you really have to pay attention to those two topics. You know, it's it's interesting because it um, it begs the question on the use of analytics for national security. You know, we have these events happen, these terrorist events happen, and uh, later it's found out that there was information, you know, and nobody acted on the information, that there was some information out there that if someone had taken it seriously, it could have been used to prevent uh, the whatever incident occurred. Um, yeah. But how do you connect the tea leaves? I mean, it's always out there, as you just said. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like, you know, the story we tell ourselves is the story we want to tell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of confirmation bias out there. I mean, just think about any event, but especially a terrorist event. The time of day, the amount of rain, the humidity in the air, how many people were present, you know, what was in the back of the mind of the guy, how I got to work that day, you know, what happened to, to cause, I mean, there, there's an infinite number of variables to connect four of them and say that they were related factors, it's valid, but to say one of them that happened or didn't happen would have changed the course of history, we can't do that. And so we try and extrapolate that to a marketing action, which is pretty benign. It seems odd that we would try and place such heavy value. So just got to always take metrics with a grain of salt, trying to determine what it is that you're trying to measure. And if you change a variable and it affects the outcome, that's probably something you should keep track of and figure out how to change it again and see if it's a valid measurement. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Greg, thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.